In our last broadcast, we began with the question, who does Paul think that we are? As he wrote the letter to the Romans, what was his, what is the Bible's view of human beings? That answer should change the way we read our Bibles and how we understand ourselves in the world that we live in. Welcome everyone, I'm Joel Van Hoogen and this is The Bread of Life, a radio ministry of the International Mission Church Partnership Evangelism and his associate fellowship, The Bread of Life Church in Boise, Idaho. One of the overarching principles behind the model of evangelism taught by CPE is an understanding that God has called the Christian to gain an identity as an intercessor in his or her community. And it is those intercessions that God particularly works through in preparing lives for the seed of the gospel. Let me encourage you to think of a handful of people you can pray over thoughtfully in the days ahead. To learn more, go to traincpe.org or breadoflifeboise.org. Now we continue a consideration of Romans chapter 6, verses 6 through 11, and particularly a consideration of what makes us who we are. Here is the initial answer. We are primarily spiritual beings, and our needs as such are at the base, spiritual needs. So when a person is born again, that old man, that old spirit that presided over their bodies and lives sunk into the passions and appetites of their bodies, dies in Christ. And then Christ, in a sense, disentangles that spirit and death from all that sin that it's enmeshed in and cleanses it and purifies it and raises it up as a new creation. And they're a new creation in Jesus Christ. Where they're no longer now in fellowship with and in communion with the spirit that works in the children of disobedience. But now they're in communion and fellowship with God and with the spirit and with the Lord Jesus Christ. He brings that person to fellowship with Jesus Christ so that now they're realizing his abiding presence in their inmost being. And that's what it means to be born again. That's what Paul's talking about. That's the we that Paul is addressing. Here, Paul is addressing the born-again believer in chapter 6 and chapter 7 who has been transformed. And you see this, he's not merely speaking to him as a physical being. He's not merely addressing him as a material being that is just subject to somehow developing the right environment around himself or developing the right patterns of behavior to recondition and reprogram the material substance of who he is. But he's addressing him as someone who's spirit above everything else. He's a new spiritual creation in Jesus Christ. Here's the third observation. The spirit is that faculty in which humans commune with spirit. The spirit is that faculty in which humans commune with spirit. So if you look at the passage again, you'll notice that Paul is speaking of this new spiritual creation, of these persons who have been born again and he speaks of them in a new relationship with Christ. They are baptized into Christ. They've died with Christ. They are united or planted with Christ. They live in newness of life to live with Christ and be alive to God. And here is this other aspect of this new regenerate spiritual life they have. It's the life of the new man is a life in communion with the Spirit of God. They're in fellowship with and in communion with God's Spirit, with God the Father, God the Son, with God the Holy Spirit. 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 12 is a key passage, and we'll, we'll look at it a little more closely in just a moment. But speaking to the born-again believer, Paul puts it this way. Now, we have received not the Spirit of the world, but the Spirit who is from God. And there you have it. There is the essence of, or the expression of that individual who has been born again. 
and become a new spiritual being through Jesus Christ. Now, in that new spirit, he is in communion and fellowship with the spirit of the holy God. On the other hand, the unsaved person, the unborn, unregenerate person, is a spiritual being as well, but he doesn't have fellowship with the spirit of God. Instead, they are separated from God by their sins, and they are in fellowship with the spirit of this world. We have not received, he said, the spirit of this world. We've received the spirit that is from God. So you see, we're essentially spiritual beings. And as such, we're made for fellowship with spirit. Our spirits are that part of us that has been breathed into us by God at creation. And with our spirits, we were made to commune with him. So here's a fourth observation to build on this idea. And it's this. Listen, it means that our spirits are not ever meant to be alone. Our spirits are never meant to be alone. They are not faculties unto themselves. They are meant to be in communion with spirit. Spirit to spirit. So it seems to me when you're reading the scriptures and you see the story of any man throughout the Bible, and if you were even to and then project out of that and look at any man throughout history in any time or any place, that he will never be alone. He's never by himself. He may be spiritually separated from God because of his sins, but his separation from God only introduces him to a new master and a new spiritual relationship, but he's not without a relationship. Bob Dylan figured this out when he wrote the song, You may serve the devil or you may serve the Lord, but you got to serve somebody. By way of analogy, the Bible says you're basically either wed in your spirits to God or you're wed in your spirits to the spirit of this world and of this age and the spirit that rules and the children of disobedience. And if you go on to Romans chapter 6 and read further, you'll see that you're either a slave of sin or you're a slave of righteousness. You, you see, that's just an either or. You're going to be in relationship with something. You're going to be in connection with one spirit or the other spirit. It is foolhardy to think that you will ever be spiritually independent. A young man or a young woman who decides they want to stride out into the world by themselves and live independent of what they've been taught or been urged to do as they've been raised up in a Christian home to seek Christ, know Christ, follow Christ, obey Christ, live and surrender Him. They, they want to go their own way. They want to figure their own thing. They want to live in independence from the trail their parents have set for them. All I can say is they won't go out of your home alone. You won't be by yourself. If you will not tie yourself to Jesus, if you will not bind yourself to Him, another spirit will bind itself to you. You can't live independent. You won't. You don't have it. You don't exist that way. You weren't made for that. You were made for communion with Spirit. The Spirit was made for communing with Spirit, and if you don't hold communion with the Holy Spirit, you will be communing, whether you know it or not, with that which is unholy. You will. It's just how it will work out. This truth is expressed in the words that the Lord Jesus said when he was squaring off against the Pharisees in John chapter 8. Now, here were men who were considered to be tremendously moral men. They were paragons in their society, moral, ethical individuals. And as the Lord Jesus confronts them, he tells them that God is not their father, that they don't have a relationship with God as their father. If God were your father, you would love me, he says to them. And then he goes on to tell them in John 8, 44 this, You are of your father, the devil. And your will is to do your father's desires. Now, they didn't like that, but here's the demarcation between the old man and the new man. The spiritual impulses of the old man and the unregenerate person is to suppress the truth 
and is to deny God his true worship, and is to set yourself at the center, and is to live in deception and in self-deception, and this is because the unsaved individual has received to themselves or herself the spirit of this world. Not the spirit that is of God. It's just the way it is. You are going to be in communion with one spirit or the other. Actually, I wrote this far in my message early Monday morning in Kathmandu. And after I'd written it, I got a contact from Pastor Tej, the pastor I was working with. He'd come to the hotel and he wanted to take me to a World Heritage Site, which was right by my hotel. This heritage site is the temple dedicated to Shiva. I'd noticed that there was smoke gathering just off from where my hotel was all day long. All day long you'd see smoke coming up in that place. Well, it's a crematory. It's where people are burned and, and their bodies are cremated. There in Nepal, if a person dies, the very next day they take them to the temple of Shiva to be burned. And so he, he took me on these grounds. There was this massive temple. There's a river that flows to the temple. We were on the one side of the hill looking down the hill into in the temple grounds, looking at the river that flows through it and then looking across the way at the temple. And there you could see they had lined up the bodies and they were providing different rites to them, washing them, bathing them. There were like slabs of stone that angled off towards the river and they'd lay the body in those slabs of stone and bathe them. And then, then after they did that, they'd have a priest come and sprinkle water over them and say certain prayers over them. And then just down the way were ricks of wood the size of a large couch and they would lay the bodies on those ricks of wood and they would incinerate them. And then when they were done, push the ashes off from the river. So that was going on on the side of the river I was on, was a series of a long procession of little massive stone temples. There were passageways into them. They were about the size of this platform on, maybe about twice as big as this platform. Massive stone temples, just a little pagodas, you might say, but made of thick stone. And there would be two little entryways within them and they were dark, but if you looked inside, you could see that there were these idols in the middle of them that basically were these grotesque, filthy idols to human fertility. Inside each one of there's a multitude of them would be people that would be gathered inside of them, families or a couple that were burning incense and offering sacrifices inside them, seeking for benefit and blessing from the god Shiva. The god Shiva is both a destroyer and a sustainer, He's a god whose second wife died and in his rage he brought destruction over humanity and yet they come and pray that God would give them a good wife and give them health. He couldn't do it for himself, but apparently they come to him. There were gurus there that were selling. The other thing I found out is that you can't sell marijuana in Nepal. It's against the law, but these gurus sell it on this temple grounds. And so people were used, coming on the grounds also to smoke marijuana, but the, a lot of Westerners. And they were back up in these caves, living in these caves that were off from where they were burning these bodies and where these other people were engaged in this, 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 this unseemly worship. And there in these caves, basically you'd see these Westerners pop out every once in a while. The pastor said, yeah, these guys basically come here to smoke marijuana. If you will not commune with the Spirit of the Holy God, you will commune with Spirit. You'll indulge yourself and engage yourself and be connected with the spirit that perverts and disrupts and makes things unholy and defiled and even celebrates right under your nose death 24 hours a day. 24 hours a day. That's what you saw. That was what was going on there in that place. It's just illustrating these things we're talking about. Look at Corinthians chapter 2. Let me read to you 9 through 16. 
Here's the promise for the believer. Now, we have received not the spirit of the world, but the spirit who is from God. But as it is written, eye has not seen, nor ear heard, nor has entered into the heart of man the things which God has prepared for those who love him. But God has revealed them to us through his spirit. For the spirit searches all things, yes, the deep things of God. For what man knows the things of man except the spirit of man which is in him? Even so, no one knows the things of God except the spirit of God. Now we have received not the spirit of the world, but the spirit who is from God, that we might know the things that have been freely given to us by God. These things we also speak, not in words which man's wisdom teaches, but which the Holy Spirit teaches, comparing spiritual things with spiritual. But the natural man does not receive the things of the Spirit of God, for they are foolishness to him, nor can he know them, because they are spiritually discerned. But he who is spiritual judges all things, yet he himself is rightly judged by no man. For who has known the mind of the Lord that they may instruct him? But we have the mind of Christ. Did you see here a distinction is being made? The unregenerate person has the spirit of this world. They are blinded in their minds. They don't know and can't comprehend the spiritual realities of Christ or of God. These things are foolishness to them. The spirit of this age is informing them and whispering into them lies that give room to sin and to death. Yet on the other hand, the regenerate person communes in his spirit with the spirit of God. They are spiritual in the purest sense of the word. They have the mind of Christ. Do you have the mind of Christ? You've been born again, you're a Christian, you do, I do. I have the mind of Christ. I have the spirit of the living God living in me. Thanks for joining us at the Bread of Life, a ministry of Church Partnership Evangelism and the Bread of Life Fellowship in Boise, Idaho. To learn more, go to breadoflifeboise.org. Until the next time, may God bless you.